You're listening to the new media. You're listening to Mitchell Talks. Learn more at MitchellTalks.com and follow me, Scott Mitchell, on Twitter at Mitchell Talks. From the U.S. to Italy, Iran to South Korea, the coronavirus epidemic is getting worse. And public health officials are battling partisan politics and misinformation spread via traditional and social media platforms. Last Friday, I brought state epidemiologist Lawrence Burnsed into the News 9 studio to discuss the facts and fiction about the coronavirus. This conversation on Facebook Live lasts about 35 minutes, and Mr. Burnsed does a great job discussing what you need to know about this public health crisis. Support for this podcast is provided by Aerosurf Communications. With a wireless network of over 100 local broadcast sites, Aerosurf has provided central Oklahomans with reliable broadband internet since 2003. Learn more at aerosurf.com. That's A-I-R-O-S-U-R-F dot com. And now Mitchell Talks, the coronavirus, with Oklahoma State epidemiologist Lawrence Burnsed. Good morning, and we're going to take just a moment to uh, welcome you to this Facebook Live. I'm going to introduce Lawrence Burnsed, who's the state epidemiologist. Yes, and if you're watching us and you want to ask some questions of Lawrence about, you know, what we're going to talk about, coronavirus, maybe the most political virus that's ever been in the history of the world based upon what's happening on Wall Street. And we're so glad you're joining us on News 9, News on 6. Uh, Mitchell Talks. Give me just a, a little background, Lawrence, on your background, how you came to be the state epidemiologist and what that means. Sure. Uh, so uh, I've been an infectious disease epidemiologist for the past 20 years with the Oklahoma State Department of Health. Uh, background is in uh, public health training, master of public health degree. Uh, epidemiology is a study of distribution and determinants of health-related events within populations. Uh, so started out as a uh, uh, an epidemiologist with the State Health Department, and then recently uh, have had the opportunity to serve as a state epidemiologist. Uh, what that means is serving as a, uh, a subject matter person for leadership and for the public regarding uh, um, scientific-related events, especially infectious diseases, and uh, also just guiding response regarding uh, surveillance investigation control of uh, public health events. Well, it's good to have you here. Thank you, sir. We're really glad to have you here. Now, let's establish... Just a little context and perspective. In Oklahoma, the state health department is the one that really is overall arching in terms of public health, public health safety. You yep. also have two uh, state, uh, two rather county organizations, Oklahoma County, Tulsa County, which are really in charge there. But you all three are working together on this particular issue, this COVID-19. So everybody's on the same page in terms of what's going on here, and we really appreciate you being here. Yeah, sure. All right, um, I'll go ahead and give the analogy. Think about a, a five-year-old kid with a claw hammer in a jewelry store. Between the politicians and the media, that's kind of what's happened to the information. I think nobody's going to disagree with that, that there's so much misinformation, bad information. There are quacks getting into the media. There are politicians that are saying things. and that we, It's very difficult to get to square one once the cat's out, you know, the sure. cat's out of the bag. Let's start, Lawrence, with what we know about COVID-19, which is basically, the way I understand this, is the virus is, is a SARS-2 virus. 
it causes COVID in the same way. A good example would be, correct me if I'm wrong, that HIV causes AIDS. So when well, we're talking about uh, you know coronavirus specifically, and that's the actual name. And they call it the Nova, drug. right? Uh, There's yeah. the novel, rather. Uh, correct, novel. So novel coronavirus. Uh, and when we're talking about novel coronavirus, let's start with just describing what that means. New. This is a virus, specifically this this coronavirus that has not been detected before within our population anywhere in the world. Uh, it first emerged in China and has rapidly evolved and has spread to more than 50 countries at this point. Uh, coronavirus is something that is a family of viruses, essentially just we're talking about a germ. Um, there are multiple strains of coronavirus that cause just common respiratory symptoms, fever, cough, uh, essentially. Many of them are mild and just are regularly distributed throughout the world that people are exposed to on a regular basis. But this is a new one uh, that had not been detected before that is causing a range of symptoms for individuals when they're infected. That could be on the milder course, such as fever, cough, sore throat, shortness of breath, or in some instances, a more severe course of illness, pneumonia, that may require hospitalization and care, and in some instances could result in death because of compromising our respiratory tract or leading to uh, shock or other effects on other organs or vital systems. All right, so respiratory mm -hmm. caused by a new virus yes. called coronavirus. How many people do we think worldwide have been infected by this virus? So it's unknown. What we do know is, is how many have been detected at this point. And it's more than 82,000 cases that have been confirmed. Uh, and unfortunately, it's led to more than 2,800 deaths. So that's about a case fatality rate of about 3%, essentially. Um, you know, it is possible that there could be additional cases in countries that have already seen widespread transmission within their communities that have not been detected, mainly because that's a constraint on resources of actually testing everybody for one. And then secondly, some people who have very mild illness may not actually seek care. Uh, so that's why the number is kind of unknown at that point. But as far as the, uh, the aggressive surveillance measures that countries are taking on, trying to figure out exactly who may have this, we know at this point it's about 82,000 cases have been detected in more than 50 countries. Okay, so you've made an important point that I've not seen uh, discussed too much. Pretty high confidence that China is not being truthful with the information that they have. There are some estimates that they could be reporting only 10% of what they know. If that's true, then that means the lethality rate, which you just mentioned of 3%, could be significantly less in terms, that's a big if, I understand. But if people are being truthful, we could it could be much less lethal than 3%. So there, there certainly can be questions about uh, has all the information been available or how soon the information was released so our scientific community really knows what's going on. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. I know that our federal partners that are more engaged with Chinese public health officials have had some concerns. But when we're talking about the scientific community, there's, there's certainly some information that's coming out that's being published in peer-reviewed articles that are really kind of telling us a picture of what's going on. Uh, some recent publications have told us that when it comes to severity, that does seem to be kind of on track with what they're talking about, where about 81% of individuals that have experienced illness and have been confirmed have been on the milder course of illness. So that fever, cough, sore throat, do not require hospitalization and last for several days. About 15% are more severe. They may have pneumonia, may need medical care. Some may require hospitalization, and some may result in course of a severe course of illness. So at least in looking at samples of the, of the groups that have been affected, that, that case fatality rate has kind of remained around that 3%. Uh, but you know, are we certain to know that all cases have been detected? That's one of the challenges with a, a, a new or emerging event is that the rapid upscale of response requirements really kind of presents a challenge, which may mean that you may not have all the resources needed for testing on the early point of this, or some individuals just may be 
uh, in isolation, but they're not seeking care uh, for their symptoms, and so they may go undetected at early, during the early parts of the response. We're going to get to some of your questions. I want to say hello. There's a Norman's watching from Rio de Janeiro, Diana, Judy. Uh, Emmy uh, Dixon writes, I think the government is doing good being honest. I think people should pull together and not make this political. It's kind of late, right? I know you want to get into the politics, but it's definitely become a political issue. Uh, stock market was down like 900 points when I came in this morning. It's a whole lot going on. Let, I'm going to answer a lot of your questions here. Let's get kind of stick to the baseline for right now. Tell us what we as Oklahomans, all right? You, we mentioned the other health departments. Right now, our preparedness, which is a big issue on the national level, our preparedness in Oklahoma is fill in the blank. Very good. Uh, in general, you know, we've dealt with large-scale events before, whether it be infectious disease like uh, the occurrence of Ebola in Western Africa and the need for us to monitor travelers coming into the country with uh, 2009 and 10 pandemic influenza when that occurred. Uh, you know, so, and, and then you also have natural disasters and the fact that our response communities, whether on the public health side, healthcare sector, other emergency response organizations that have a role in this, we, we know how to come together and respond to events. And we're already being proactive in our preparedness planning when it comes to what if this could be a more wide-scale, large-scale event uh, in the United States. So we're already having those discussions with our other state agency, agency partners. We're already communicating with our healthcare providers to know what their needs are, trying to get an assessment and understanding of supply needs for healthcare uh, delivery for individuals. So there's certainly a lot of effort going on. So I would stress that when we're talking about as a state specifically, and even as a U.S. when we're talking about communication between our, our state public health uh, 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 professionals and our federal partners. There's a lot of good communication happening. There's a lot of open communication about the, the situation that's happening in the U.S. right now, and really a lot of open discussion about what we need to do to get to a point where we can be very uh, uh, certain that we can really put in uh, appropriate control measures to at least try to limit sustained widespread transmission within our communities. Diana Bowen asks, do you think people are overreacting to this? So uh, it depends on how you describe overreacting. You know, should people be overly worried? Not necessarily at this time. You know, uh, if uh, we're, we're not seeing the widespread sustained transmission in the United States or Oklahoma like other countries are seeing now, such as China, where it originated, or Italy, for example, or South Korea. Uh, although there are some individuals that should be uh, alert and aware, especially individuals that have international travel that's coming up right now, because there are several countries now that are seeing sustained transmission in communities that are going to affect your travel plans. You need to be aware of that. For example, there's a travel advisory now for South Korea where you need to avoid all non-essential travel. So that's going to affect your personal or business plans. Uh, there are areas like Italy, for example, uh, that have uh, alert travel status, which means that if you are at high risk of complications, elderly individuals, persons with underlying medical conditions that affect your immune system, then you might want to reconsider your travel as well. Uh, and because of the circumstances involving cruise ships recently, uh, it's also been advised that if you have cruise travel that may have an itinerary uh, porting or around Asia, then that also might be something that you reconsider, especially or if you are at, at high risk. Uh, so individuals that are recently traveling or are planning to travel to areas that are affected, they need to be more alert and more concerned about their travel plans and if that could be unexpectedly canceled or the fact that they need to be aware of the risk of exposure if they continue on with their travel plans and to be aware of those symptoms when they come back to the U.S. for up to two weeks after they return so you can look for development of illness and immediately not notify your health care provider in advance before just showing up for care so we know uh, and can triage you appropriately and, and provide the appropriate care and look into it as a possible case of novel coronavirus. Patrick Day asks, is there a reliable, quick and effective 
test? I know there's a lot of talk about testing is not something that's state-of-the-art on this. Your thoughts? There is a test available. Uh, this is a molecular test that right now in the United States is being conducted at CDC and a few select state public health laboratories. This is also a test that we're, we're acquiring here in Oklahoma uh, through our state public health laboratory. Uh, this is a test that was developed by CDC. The supplies are manufactured by them, and they're essentially scaling it out to, to bring it to the state health departments so we can be more timely in that initial detection. So right now, if we had a, pati a patient that we suspected could have novel coronavirus based on travel history or contact with somebody else that we know to have novel coronavirus, uh, and their symptoms, then we would have to essentially work with the healthcare provider to collect the samples, ship them overnight to CDC, which could take a few days for, for testing. We'll be able to reduce that, that turnaround time when our public health laboratory has that capability acquired here locally, which should be uh, very soon in the near future here since the kits have been sent out to most state health labs, including Oklahoma. Here's another question from Anthony Tompkins. Thanks for uh, watching, Anthony. Should folks who work with computers be concerned in opening new equipment shipped from factories in China? No, not necessarily, right. no. iPhones? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, some people are concerned about uh, essentially what's called fomite transmission, meaning that inanimate objects like this uh, have germs on them that when you touch it and come into contact with it and then you accidentally put your fingers in your mouth or you touch your eyes or nose, then you infect yourself that way. Uh, and that really hasn't been, been shown. Uh, here we are, we have an event that's been happening for several months now. And if there was really that kind of risk of fomite transmission on objects that are being shipped from China, for example, then we would have likely seen introduction much sooner and we would see more widespread occurrence of cases than we detected at this point. The cases that have occurred in the United States so far are individuals, and it's a very limited number, about uh, 60 individuals. Those are individuals that were recent travelers to Hubei province, China, very close family members in the same household as a couple of the confirmed cases here in the U.S. Uh, where control measures are already in place. And then other individuals that have been repatriated from uh, mainland China uh, or specifically Hubei province, which was at high risk of exposure, back to the U.S. where they were under strict uh, quarantining observation. That's where our cases essentially uh, have occurred. Uh, and that's because they had more direct exposure likely to somebody else who was infectious at the time. So let me get to a final point on that. Really, the way that somebody's exposed, we're talking about transmission, is essentially person to person, likely in more close proximity. So if I was infected and ill at this time, just being within six feet of me, I potentially could expose you uh, from talking, coughing, and sneezing. Uh, so it's more direct contact with individuals that exposes another individual. Let's, which brings me to this question. I checked yesterday, most of the pharmacies in this town, they're sold out of masks. All right, so there's been a jillion stories. I haven't heard this question. Do they work? And who should be wearing them? So they work for very specific purposes. We do not advise the general public to go out and buy surgical masks at this time. Uh, one, because we're not seeing widespread transmission like other countries. Two, there's very specific purposes. One, uh, masks are really supposed to be used by healthcare professionals, and we need to keep those supplies reserved for healthcare professionals to assure that their safety uh, is assured when they are working with patients that are either suspected or confirmed as having novel coronavirus. Uh, so we, we want to make sure that those supplies are available for uh, providers, uh, you know, physicians, nurses, other healthcare providers when they're interacting with patients in a controlled environment, which means a clinic or a hospital. Uh, so it's uh, the other part of this is that there may be limited use for masks in other circumstances. For example, uh, it's what's called source control. If I were ill with a respiratory illness like a cough, sore throat, fever, and I showed up at a clinic, they may give me a surgical mask to wear while I'm waiting in the, in the waiting room. And that means uh, what they're doing is they're trying to pretend, protect me from essentially exposing others while I'm waiting to be seen for that short period of time. Uh, 
in other circumstances, it may be that somebody's caring for another person with novel coronavirus in their home, then the care providers, those family members, may be given some masks that way when they're having some direct interaction with that, that uh, family member who's ill, then they could also have the family member wearing the mask for source control, and then they're wearing it for the short period of time when they're helping them with feeding, with caring. Uh, so it's very limited use. Wearing them just in the general public, it's not very efficient because it only covers your mouth and nose potentially. Your eyes are still a mucous membrane. So you're not really getting that, that very effective uh, uh, prevention from just wearing a mask in general public settings. Let's talk about uh, isolation versus quarantine. I know there's, I hear the media using those terms interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Isolation means what? If you think you're sick, you wanna isolate yourself. Technically, what does that mean? So it, you're exactly right. Isolation means that you are removed from interacting with others uh, to a limited number as possible for the period of time that you are infectious. That is isolation. Uh, it's one of our core uh, primitive measures on trying to limit transmission to others. So if uh, you are ill with a specific infectious disease, whether it's be suspected before even testing has occurred or once we confirm exactly what it is, we may have an idea then exactly knowing how long you're gonna be infectious. You're isolated. That could be isolated in a specific room at a hospital, uh, such as an airborne isolation room where uh, only providers essentially are going to be directly interacting with you in that room. Uh, or it could be isolation at home, essentially, if you can manage your symptoms uh, while you're infectious, limiting your contact with other family members, like staying in a specific room away from others, using your own bathroom, uh, disinfecting those services uh, or surfaces of, of, of within the room in the bathroom. What do I isolation. disinfect it with? Uh, general household products uh, are, are going to be fine. Correct. You okay. follow label instructions. Quarantine. Quarantine is when you're not ill, but you're at risk of developing illness, and we need to try to limit your interaction with others in the event you do become ill. And that's very important. So for novel coronavirus, the incubation period, meaning the time that you're exposed to somebody else and the time that you're going to become sick potentially, is up to 14 days. So you may not be ill today, but at some point in the next two weeks, you could become ill. So quarantine is when we want to try to restrict the movement of individuals so we don't put others at risk when you do become ill. Uh, so that may mean removing you from work, childcare, uh, public settings and gatherings like uh, you know, school-sanctioned events and games and, and so forth, and just trying to stay at home as much of that time as possible or, or, or the entire time for the full period of time that you could potentially uh, go on to develop illness. Because when you do develop illness, that's when you become infectious and can be spreading to others. And we want to try to limit that number by keeping you quarantined in a specific location. A couple of days ago, there was a big to-do about community transmission, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not the type you talked about sneezing or putting my finger in my eye. What is community transmission? What is the significance to this story? Sure. Uh, so community transmission occurs when you really don't know the source of exposure for an individual that is detected as having novel coronavirus, for example. And that's what's happened in California with, with a recent patient. Um, you know, with the first several individuals here that were detected in the United States, we knew their, their source of exposure because they just recently came back from China, for example, Hubei province, or they were recently repatriated from the Diamond Princess cruise ship where they were around other individuals that were infectious. So that's their source of exposure. When you have somebody that for, presents for care, they are confirmed as having this novel coronavirus and they don't have recent travel history. We don't know who uh, was ill around them, 
then that's an indication of possible community transmission. That means that there was somebody else uh, somewhere that they interacted with that may have been infectious, but we don't know who that person is. That's an indicator that we have something that's kind of occurring at a potentially broader scale. Now, for California, they're still conducting that investigation to really try to determine if they uh, can figure out exactly that source uh, for that individual that was detected as a possible community uh, case. Uh, but that, that's an indicator that tells us that maybe we're seeing something that is a, a level of transmission that's beyond just the closest personal contacts that we've been monitoring or have certain restrictions on them. Can we stay with uh, name that term? Right? Sure. So we hear epidemic, we hear pandemic. Now, the other day, whenever I, it was Monday, whenever CDC said it's possibly a pandemic, we knew at that point, all right, this is going to get out of hand. Number one, pandemic does not speak to lethality, correct? It just means that it's spreading beyond a country's borders. Am I right on this? Correct. Uh, exactly. So epidemic essentially means the occurrence of illnesses or a health-related event that's higher than expected. So for a novel event, essentially the fact that we have occurrence of cases of something that's new that hasn't been detected before that's causing illness among a large group of people in general, that's an epidemic in itself. A pandemic is when you have worldwide spread across multiple regions of the, of the world affecting numerous countries. Uh, and there's a couple of things that really kind of set you up for a potential pandemic, which is why that word's being used in this. One, something that is novel or new uh, when we're talking about a germ, that causes concern because essentially most of the population has never been exposed before. So we're, our immune system is naive. If we're exposed and infected, potentially that means that we're at risk of developing illness and could go on to develop more severe course of symptoms. Uh, the control measures are going to be very limited in scope because we don't necessarily have a vaccine at this time or we don't have specific medical therapy like antivirals that are effective. Uh, so the, the, the pandemic potential or that, that shift to talking about a pandemic is when you have widespread on a global scale across numerous continents. That's when you start talking about pandemic. So you're hearing people talk about pandemic preparedness right now, which means that we know we have an outbreak occurring across approximately 50 countries right now of novel coronavirus. Um, those countries that have not been directly impacted yet, we're all preparing for the introduction of novel coronavirus and trying to assure that we try to limit uh, the occurrence of sustained transmission to the closest personal contacts and not let it get out of hand. And that's called pandemic preparedness. In Oklahoma, what are we doing on pandemic preparedness? So we have uh, core plans that are used for very similar instances like this, like pandemic influenza from 2009, 2010, we have a pan flu plan. Uh, you know, that, the, the, core, the core public health measures when it comes to non-pharmaceutical interventions, we know are, are going to be utilized for this. So we're already talking to our partners, whether it be healthcare providers, other state agencies, response partners through emergency management, uh, uh, nonprofits, community-based organizations that may have to step up and help us out with this. Uh, we're already talking about some of those non-pharmaceutical interventions, like, again, isolation of symptomatic, quarantine of non-symptomatic, potential preparations for cancellation of events. Uh, it also means that we're having discussions with uh, uh, businesses and local city governments to talk about preparations for the event of widespread illness, um, you know, such as cancellation of travel for business or personal reasons, or potentially having to institute other measures to distance each other from, from, for periods of time, such as uh, teleworking, uh, working from home, or trying to limit the number of people who are going to be office at the same time possibility of preparing for a cancellation of group events or, or um, social events and even school or childcare. So families even need to be prepared for considering what if my school closes because we see an outbreak happen within a school setting uh, and being aware of 
the, the, the need to uh, establish childcare for the children or being able to have flexible work options to care for our, chi- our children if they are um, um, you know, at home for an extended period of time because of school closures. Those are the preparations and discussions we're already having with our partners in the state. I did look this up. The Trust for America's Health ranked Oklahoma in the top tier for emergency preparedness, ranking based on public health funding, mm-hmm. public health lab cap- capacity, and uh, hospital preparedness. Let me ask you real quick. We've got about five more minutes here. Um, let's talk about vaccines and antivirals. I hear lots of stories. We don't have great testing this internationally. We don't have enough antivirals and the progress on a vaccine. What are you hearing on those issues? Uh, well, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the, the uh, laboratory testing because you kind of mentioned that in there. Um, you know, early on when, when a new germ like a novel coronavirus emerges, then you don't necessarily have a specific test to detect it, so that has to be developed. Uh, and then that also has to be scaled up to your needs for the occurrence of illness, so you can continue to detect uh, uh, cases of illness. Uh, that is in progress. You know, numerous countries have the test to detect right now. Uh, the United States has it through CDC, and the state public health laboratories are, are bringing it online. So, so that ability for detection is, is, is coming up, and it continues to expand. Antiviral medications, uh, there are several clinical trials going on, uh, notably in China right now, to evaluate existing antiviral medications to see how effective they are in treating individuals with uh, novel coronavirus. So there may not be a specific medication that has already been FDA approved and tested and and known the effectiveness against novel coronavirus, but they are evaluating existing um, uh, antivirals. That would mean that for individuals that are severely ill right now, it's really management of symptoms, managing pneumonia, managing inability to breathe, managing uh, um, a shock or, or a failure of other vital organ systems, like placing people on ventilators and so forth. That's kind of the management right now, which is a challenge with antivirals. Uh, you need something that may reduce the severity of illness, especially early in the course of illness. So that research is ongoing right now. Vaccine is another one that's under evaluation and research right now. There have been some early progress. There are some that are kind of going to that next phase of testing, but it's going to take time because we have to assure that available vaccines are, one, effective against novel coronavirus, and two, they're safe for, for general widespread use within our population. Those things still have to be answered with the available vaccines that have just been developed. So, uh, you know, some estimates say up to a year which means that the current wave right now, we may not have a vaccine in place, which means we have to talk about focusing on those core control strategies of social distancing, isolating when sick, staying at home when you're ill, and quarantine or working as a community when you know that you may have been exposed and we're advising you to stay home, that you comply and work with us to stay home from work and school for the period of time in case you go on and develop symptoms of illness. I want to get to the flu and flu vaccine in just a moment, but let's We've had lots of people tested. As of right now, we know of no cases of novel coronavirus in Oklahoma. Correct. All right. Let's say I get novel coronavirus. I get infected with that. What am I looking at? What, how would I know what's going on with me, especially if I want to isolate myself? Mm-hmm. And why do some people have really no symptoms and it kills some people? Part of this is susceptibility, um, which means uh, that some people are more vulnerable to experiencing uh, more severe symptoms. Uh, so what we're seeing from the epidemiology of novel coronavirus in other countries right now is that this, teams, this, this does tend to affect older adults and especially those that have underlying medical conditions. Underlying medical conditions that affect your heart, your lungs, 
your general immune system to where your own immunity doesn't necessarily build a response and protect you, those individuals are gonna be more vulnerable to having severe symptoms. So healthy, young adult, very active, lives a healthy lifestyle, they may still experience illness if they're infected, but it may be on a milder course. It may be that cough, uh, shortness of breath, fever, uh, uh, runny nose, maybe even some other symptoms that are related to that, like body aches that last for several days. Uh, but then you recover uh, through managing your symptoms by staying at home and caring for yourself uh, with, with you know, doctor's advice, of course, on, on how to care yourself. Rest, plenty of fluids, and removing yourself from interacting with others. Some people may have to be isolated in a healthcare facility like a hospital, and that's because uh, they may need assistance with uh, breathing, for example, where you have to be placed on a ventilator. Uh, you have to have uh, steroid, uh, steroids uh, to help with reducing inflammation for your lungs to help you open up your airways. Um, you know, they have to look and monitor other vital organ systems like your heart to assure that it doesn't shut down and they can put in appropriate interventions to, to sustain your life. Um, this is where uh, some individuals are, are affected in a more severe course. But uh, essentially, in both occurrences, if you, are, if you develop illness and it's, and it's potentially novel coronavirus, and uh, of course we're going to hear about it because healthcare providers are going to notify public health officials so we can uh, work with them quickly to test and confirm, we're going to put in those control measures immediately, even upon suspicion when we first hear about it. That means that we'll work with you to, if you can care for yourself at home, isolate yourself at home. Find other means to receive the vitals that you need, such as food, medications, other social services, but you're going to remain at home, removed from other individuals. Uh, and then those close personal contacts, like other household members, we're going to start monitoring those individuals daily, uh, and maybe even restricting their movement, removing them from public settings, while we uh, assure that we try to limit further spread to other individuals. If I call my doctor today and go, I think I've got coronavirus, or I call a hospital, are we prepared for that? Doctors prepared, hospitals prepared? Generally, yes. Uh, we know from the volumes of calls that, that all three public health uh, systems are receiving, we know that there's awareness. What we have here in Oklahoma, and, and this is a, a tool that other states have, is a health alert network system. Uh, we have been putting out advisories on a regular basis to our healthcare provider partners statewide, letting them know what the situation is, what the recommendations and guidance are, and that includes the need to immediately notify public health, and we're available 24-7, 365 to interact with, with uh, physicians. So if they have somebody that calls in advance and says, uh, I recently traveled, I was around somebody who has confirmed uh, novel coronavirus, and uh, I need to be evaluated because now I'm sick, they're going to first work to bring you in safely through an alternate means at, at that facility so you do not expose other people by just waiting in the waiting room in the ER uh, and put you into an isolation room so that way it limits exposure to others. But then they're also going to immediately call us and start discussing with us the need to further investigate and start that process with us on testing and control measures for that person and other close exposed contacts. Uh, those are the ways that, that we're prepared to try to limit at least the number of other individuals that could uh, go on to develop illness. If you want to go to some place to get information, it's health.ok.gov, health.ok.gov. I know three things that people want to do. This is so unsexy, but the three things that you're advised to do to take care, to make sure you're defensive against the virus, which is well, wash hands, don't touch your eyes, these sorts of things, right? It is, because uh, again, we're talking about a virus, a respiratory virus, which is similar to influenza and other viruses that are circulating around this time of year. Uh, so those, those same basic measures of washing your hands on a regular basis with soap and water or using alcohol-based hand gel with at least 60% strength of alcohol in them, 
um, essentially, if you do develop illness, stay home when you're sick and remove yourself from contact with other individuals so you don't spread those germs to other people. You know, those are still very important basic methods that we're going to continue to advise the public because those are really tried and true methods to protect yourself and protect others in your community. Well, it's just unbelievable. Now, let me ask you this. Nobody's died or even caught the coronavirus in Oklahoma, but there's another bug in Oklahoma that people have right now. Yeah. And have there been deaths from the flu this year in Oklahoma? There have been. Uh, we have had uh, 45 influenza-associated deaths. Uh, those deaths have occurred among persons of all ages, uh, but particularly have affected elderly individuals, 65 years of age and older, uh, 50 individuals 50 to 64 years of age that have underlying medical conditions and very young children less than five years of age especially. And that's because those are age groups that are more vulnerable to severe courses of illness. We've seen uh, more than 1,500 influenza-related hospitalizations. Uh, so we do know that influenza is circulating. It's been a pretty severe season for us this year, much like uh, most of the United States. So it's very important for people to recognize that you know, we may not have novel coronavirus right now, widespread in Oklahoma, but influenza, we're still in the thick of the season. If we had 50 deaths from novel coronavirus in Oklahoma, people would be losing their minds. And yet nobody seems to be all that upset about the flu. Let me ask you a couple of final questions. One, should people, can people still get a flu shot? They can. Uh, there's still time because there's several months left. And a flu shot, typically, when, once you receive it, it does take a little bit of time for it to, to uh, take effect and, and help boost your immune system. But essentially, within two weeks after receiving it, you're, you're going to get that benefit of the flu vaccine. And we know that the flu season goes on through uh, into May. So we have about three more months left of the season. And right now, we're at widespread status, meaning that we're still seeing a high level of activity of patients presenting for care with flu-like symptoms, hospitalizations, and unfortunately, deaths occurring in Oklahoma. So if you have not gotten your flu shot already, it's still recommended for anybody six months of age or older. You can contact your personal health care provider, or you can contact your local county health department. We actually still have supplies available for people to get a flu shot. Next to last question, does the flu shot vaccine cause autism? It does not. Uh, How do you know? <laughs> through research. Uh, you know, this is something that uh, scientists within our, within our field uh, evaluate on a regular basis. We look for adverse events. Uh, so there are mild uh, complications that somebody might experience, you know, a little bit of pain at the injection site, maybe even a mild fever because your immune system is responding to that vaccine. But there is no evidence from research that's done year after year that indicates that the flu vaccine or other vaccines uh, actually causes autism. Generally, they are safe. Uh, a, a small percentage of individuals may have very mild adverse uh, reactions. Um, but, uh, you know, if we're talking about the flu vaccine, it does not cause autism. Well, I saw on Facebook that it does. You think there could be misinformation on Facebook? You know, look, that, it's a great point. Uh, look, look for other valid sources of information. Look through your public health system, such as information we have on our website. Uh, speak with your local county health department officials. Show up at a clinic or show up at the, uh, at the doors and ask questions. Speak with your health care provider. Uh, we know from research that individuals trust uh, uh, health care providers and public health officials. Ask us questions. We want to answer those questions for you and help you make informed decisions about your personal health uh, choices. And, and we're ready for that. You're going to see more of this guy over the next month and probably that anybody could imagine, right? It's just, it's going to be that. As a matter of fact, today at 1130, you're in a Facebook Live with the Oklahoma State Medical Association President, Dr. Larry Bookman. Sir. It's going to go on and on. And so uh, we want to make sure that you understand on News 9, News on 6 Facebook pages. We're going to keep coming. If you'll keep coming back as this thing mutates, so will the coverage of this thing mutate. It'll sure. get more and more irresponsible. We had one question this morning about what's our preparedness for an economic meltdown. We'll, we'll do another one of those. Of the, your areas, infectious diseases. 
Lawrence Byrne said, go to, uh, to the state health department. Okay, uh, where is that? Just take me a second to find out. All right, it is? Health.ok.gov. So he's prepared. <laughs> Health.ok.gov. Lawrence Byrne said, is the state epidemiologist. I know you're not getting a lot of sleep right now, a lot going on. Thanks for being here with us. All right, appreciate it. Good to see you. Okay. We'll see you again, I'm sure. All right. Thanks for joining us here on News 9, News on 6 Facebook pages. See this again, news9.com slash your vote counts. Follow me on Twitter at Mitchell Talks. Thanks. You're listening to the new media, the Mitchell Talks Network. Learn more at mitchelltalks.com and follow me, Scott Mitchell, on Twitter at Mitchell Talks.